Let's find our Bibles. Let's open them to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, please. John chapter 1. Maybe you grabbed an outline on your way in. Maybe you've opened your Three Crosses app. There's an outline there for you if you'd like to follow along today. We're taking a little brief uh, journey out of Matthew and into this six weeks Advent series uh, where we're going to look, like all the churches have done for ages, back to the first coming of Christ and looking forward to his soon return. And the theme of this series, as you've already heard a dozen times this morning, is Christmas chaos and restoring order with the light of Christ. And we see and experience chaos at Christmas. I mean, there's no question about it. In fact, the very things that we look forward to at Christmas are the very things that cause most of the chaos in our lives. Uh, Shopping, parties, get-togethers, family get-togethers. Can I say it again? Family get-togethers can sometimes be a really stressful experience and talk about chaos. And on top of that, it's an intensified schedule. It's more work oftentimes. And this is now a season of cold and flu and And maybe you're experiencing a personal crisis all at the same time. And if all of those things come together at once, it's a perfect prescription for disaster. And that's where many of us are, even today. We kind of come out of this Thanksgiving weekend and we're sort of just holding our breath knowing what's coming in the next four weeks. And to be honest, a lot of us are just looking forward to being on January 1st and getting beyond the Christmas season. And I hope, and we make this our prayer every year, that the Spirit of God would help us to do as, as God's people should do, is to take a thoughtful look, a thoughtful look at, and, and perhaps to temper, if not even overturn, the chaotic nature of this season. We want to recalibrate our lives. We want to focus on the things that really matter, true family togetherness, family love, sharing with each other, loving each other, spreading the gospel of Christ, reaching out to the needy in our communities. This is all a part of what this Advent season ought to be about. And so what we're going to do in these next six weeks is we're going to look at how from the very beginning God has been doing a work of restoring order in the midst of the chaos, this chaotic world. And by the way, Christmas doesn't create chaos. It only reveals it. I mean, whatever's in your life sort of just kind of comes out when the pressure kind of increases and whatever's in our hearts determines sort of the way we go. And so we're going to learn in this series the beauty of what Christ wants to do in bringing his light. And today we begin by looking at the one who is the key figure in restoring order in our world. And of course we're talking about Jesus, how his mission of restoration begins in the heart of every person who trusts in him. Have you trusted in Christ this morning? Our text today is going to reveal a powerful picture of who Christ is. And, and most importantly today, we're going to learn from this, what John writes in these first 18 verses. We know this as the prologue of John, which, which means preface or introduction, or it could also mean summary These 18 verses of John's opening in this gospel is a summary of everything that follows from verse 19 all the way to the end of chapter 21 in the gospel of John. This is a beautiful picture and portrait of Jesus. And we're going to learn today that Jesus is more than qualified to bring order into the chaos. And not only is he more than qualified, he's the only one qualified. 
And that's what we want to focus on today. Now, this is going to get a little deep. It's a little theological, which is awesome because Jesus said the truth will set us free, right? And so this may not be touchy-feely, although there's some beautiful touch and feel in this message this morning. We're going to get our heart around the bedrock of truth today. Are you ready for that this morning? All right. So let's read the text and see what it has to say. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things, were, all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning Him. He cries out, saying, This is the one of whom, this is He of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. From the fullness of his, his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Okay, the key verses in this text, if I could just show them to you quickly, the key verses are verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh. And verse 18, where Jesus explains to us who the Father is. Those are the three key words or key scriptures that we're going to look at. And we're going to build everything around that this morning. I want to show you why Jesus is more than qualified and why he's the only one qualified to bring order into the chaos. Are you ready? If you're taking notes, I want you to notice in verses 1 through 13, this large section that Jesus is qualified to bring order into the chaos of our lives because he is, are you ready? This is so simple. He is God. <laughs> he is God. He's the one that brings order. He's the one that brings order into the chaos because he is God. Now, I know this sounds basic, but basic is good. When it comes to what we believe about Jesus, basic is really good. I'm finding more and more people that I meet that I assume share the same convictions that I have about Jesus who don't share those same convictions. Maybe some of us sitting here today will not know until we hear this text really who Jesus is. For many of us who are beginning to explore who Jesus is, I want to show you five irrefutable reasons why we can trust him as God right out of this text. If you're taking notes first, verses one and two, he is the word of God. He is the logos of God. In the beginning was the Word. Now, why would John use the word, Word, to describe Jesus? 
this word means more than a spoken word. Although we had a spoken word this morning, that was a really cool reference to all of what we're talking about in this series. Amazing. But when John says, in the beginning was the word, he was not speaking about a spoken word. He was talking about something far greater, uh, something that was embedded in personhood, the embodiment of, of a concept or an idea. And when John used this word, logos, to describe Jesus, he was elevating to his reader the superior position that the relationship of the word is to the Godhead, Father Holy Spirit and the Son, the Son being the Word. Now when we hear this opening phrase, in the beginning was the Word, it sounds familiar to us, doesn't it? Because back in Genesis chapter 1, we read, in the beginning God created, right? This is very familiar to us, and I believe John is using the same sort of imagery to describe to us who this Word is. I want to point out something grammatical that might be interesting to you. Notice the word was there in verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The word was, the verb was there is in the imperfect tense, which means continuous action. So let me share with you what this means, what John is saying about the Word of God. First, he's saying that Jesus has always existed even before everything got started. In the beginning was the Word. You know, have you ever had a little child walk up to you and ask hard questions? This is one of those questions. Where, when was the beginning? When was the beginning? Well, if you go back as far as you think is the beginning, guess what? There was something before that. And this is what John is saying about the word. In the beginning was. In other words, go as far back as you can. Go to what you think is the beginning. And guess what? There's Jesus. Go back further. There he is. Go back further. There he is. Go back as far as you want. There he is. Theologians call this the eternality of God. This is a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. He is He is eternal, co-eternal with the Father. No beginning. People have a beginning. Things have a beginning. Creation has a beginning. But God doesn't. He is the Word, and the Word was in the beginning. But notice also, and the Word was with God. Here I point out to you the, the little preposition with there is important because whatever this Word was that was in the beginning and eternally existing was also with God, God the Father, which shows us something distinct about this word, that he was not the same as some later uh, theologians would suppose that God infused himself into a man. No, the scriptures reveal to us that this living word, this word, the logos of God, not only was in the beginning, but he was also with God, which means distinct in personhood. And this, of course, demolishes the belief that Jesus was somehow similar to God, but, but uh, not God himself. And this is exactly what John is saying here. He's saying, if you're taking notes, that Jesus was, has always been, this is a picture of, of beautiful intimacy, Jesus has always been face-to-face -face with the Father. He's been in a face-to-face -face living relationship with the Father, distinct from the Father, but face-to-face. We'll see this a little bit later in the text, which I think is a beautiful thing. I'm going to just make a note of that right now. We'll see that at the end of verse 18 again, where we see that Jesus was at the Father's side. Now we see also, not only was he in the beginning, he was also uh, 
face to face with, he was with God, but look at this, he was God. This is what John says, he was equal to the Father. If you're taking notes, I want you to see that he was equal to the Father in John's mind. As John wrote about Jesus, this living word, he was not just with God, not just in the beginning, but he was God himself. And literally, these two nouns, the word and God, are equal in the Greek text, which means they can be reversed and say the same thing. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and God was the word, or and the word was God. It's a reminder to us that was confirmed as early as 325 in the Nicene Creed that Jesus was co-equal with the Father. He was equal to the Father. Now notice all of this is restated in reverse order in verse 2. He, the one who is equal with God, was with God, that means face-to-face and intimacy, in the beginning. So John just sort of reverses all that. We see verses 1 and 2 go together so beautifully. So I want you to see there that he is the word of God. But also, notice verse 3, he was the one who created everything. He created everything. Notice it says there in verse 3 that through him all things were made. Without him nothing has been made that has been made. Beautiful. Other references in the New Testament, we don't have time to turn to them, but let me just read Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. That means you too, my friend. You are created by him and for him. Hebrews 1.2, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Now, we don't often think of Jesus being the creator, but this is what the Scriptures show us, that Jesus is the creating agent of God. This is amazing. He is the Word of God. He's the creator of all things. Look at this, verse 4, he possesses the life for which all of humanity searches for, that is searching for. It says in verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. This is a picture, that that word life there, zoe in the Greek, it describes not just physical, but spiritual, emotional, uh, psychological, every part of an entire being of life. And this is what everybody's looking for in life. Everybody's searching for the meaning and purpose of life. And they run after it with with abandon in every area. Like we heard in Amber's story this morning. We go after the things that we think are going to make us happy. And most of the time, all of the time, unless that pursuit leads us to Jesus, all of what we pursue becomes a mirage in our lives. And it cannot satisfy and it cannot fulfill and it enslaves and it ultimately destroys our lives. And this is why Jesus is the focal point of order in a chaotic universe is because he is the only one who can show us true meaning and purpose. Aren't you glad? Let me show you something else. Verse 4, his life and hope that he offers is unyielding. Verse 5, it says, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Your Bible might have a little notation there in the word understood. Uh, mine does, and it points to another word, overcome. I think really the better translation would be more of an overcoming idea because what John is saying here is that his life, that the light that he brings into this world cannot be overcome, cannot be overturned, no matter how dark it gets. 
Now, this is so important because as I look around, and maybe you do too, the world is getting darker and darker, isn't it? I mean, it's crazy what's going on in our world. Just look at our own culture. Look at the news over the last week. Crazy things happening. I could take time to talk. I don't even have to do it because we all know how dark the world is. But do you see what verse 5 is saying? John is saying that this light has come into the world is so brilliant that no matter how dark the world gets, the light continues to shine. It's going to break through. You can no more turn down the light of Christ than you can turn out the light of the very sun itself. Try to do that someday. You'll, you'll waste your time. And then lastly, he gives not only this. Look at this. Verse, verses 6 through 13. He gives any who come to him by faith the right to become a child of God. I mean, this is amazing stuff. I mean, he references John the Baptist who bears witness of this genuine life and light of Christ so that, so that people, look at verse 7, so that people will believe. That's the operative word. He, John the Baptist, was not the light. He came only as a witness to the one true light. And that's what we are too. That's why we, at Christmas season, we ought to bear the light of Christ as the world is walking in darkness. They might just bump into the light enough if we happen to be around to see the light of Jesus who's in our lives. To show people that any person no matter how far they've gotten away from God, no matter how far they've wandered, no matter how difficult their life has become, no matter how terrible their circumstances are, Jesus can transform their life. And watch this. He transforms their lives by allowing them to become his children. Look at verse 13. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. This is the greatest one of the greatest verses in Scripture that remind us that we don't come to faith because we just choose to or because you know, we think God has a neat idea or something, but we come because God has brought His children and brought them to a place where, where they might see His light and come to Him and experience the transformation of new birth. And this is a great place right here, right now, to ask yourself if you have been born again, if you have trans been transferred from darkness into light by the light of Jesus Christ. Because if you haven't, this is the perfect day to do so. If the Spirit of God is showing you that you're still in darkness, if you will believe on Christ, He will give you the life that you're looking for. He will give you abundance that you're searching for. He will give you a peace and a satisfaction that the world cannot give. Yet to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So here's, okay, here's the so what of all this theology, okay? We talked about that he's, he's the word, he's the creator, he's everything that people are searching for in life. He, his hope and life is unyielding uh, to the darkness, it continues to go forward, and anyone who believes will become his child. What's the so what of that? If that's true, if Jesus is all these things, don't you think, don't you think he can bring the order that you're needing in your life and the chaos that you're experiencing? I mean, you're coming to the God of the universe. When Jesus comes into your life, you have the greatest resource in the universe. Don't you think he can bring the order into your life? That's why we start with John chapter 1 when we think about God's counter to chaos begins in the person of Jesus. He's more than qualified. He's the only one qualified. And today, you can receive him as in your own life 
as your Lord and Savior. Today, you can come by faith and believe in him. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. Second thing I want you to see is that Jesus is qualified to bring order into our lives, not only because he's God, but watch this, because he took on our humanity and lived among us. That's what verses 14 through 17 are all about. Now, I noticed, I, I pointed out the, the verb was in, in verse 1, and the beginning was the word. Well, look down at verse 14. Now, the, the verb became is, is a different uh, form. This word that was now is a word that becomes. The word became. This shows the perspective, a unique perspective on the logos, the word of God. Uh, this means, by the way, a change in state or condition. The eternal takes on human flesh. The eternal comes in the form of a man. This is the miracle of Advent, that God takes on human flesh. Not God the Father, but God the Son who has existed, was in the beginning, meaning before the beginning even was, with the Father and of course, as we just read, was God. And John goes on to describe a, a few of these attributes, and we're just going to walk down through them. Verse 14, John says, we have seen his glory. He says in verse 14, we are convinced he's one of a kind. Interesting Greek word, monogonos, which means one and only. There's no one like Jesus. Notice at the end of verse 14, he's full of grace and truth. He's the perfect blend of the nature of God. He's justice and he's mercy. He's grace and he's truth. Notice also that he is, verse 15, he is infinitely superior to any who testify of him. Talks about John testifying of Jesus in verse 15. Uh, he cries out saying, this is the one whom I said, he who comes after me is surpassed me because he is before me. John points out that Jesus is superior. And then I love verse 16. There's an endless supply of grace that produces countless blessings. Grace upon grace. One blessing is exhausted, another blessing arises. You cannot stamp out the blessings of God for you found in Jesus Christ because as soon as one passes, another one is emerging. It's amazing. And his life, verse 17, is the greatest expression of God's grace. He's the ultimate expression of God's grace. And why do I say all this? I say all this because what John is telling us here is don't forget, don't forget this God that, that is the creator, who is the living word, who is the one who all mankind is searching for, the one whom the light, the light cannot be dis, uh, extinguished, this one also came like us. He came into this world. He broke into time and lived among us. Someone has written, and I just want to read this. Let this soak into your heart. Christ was all anguish that I might be all joy. Cast off that I might be brought in. Trodden down as an enemy that I might be welcomed as a friend. Surrendered to hell's worst that I might attain heaven's best. Stripped that I might be clothed. Wounded that I might be healed. Thirsty that I might drink. Tormented that I might be comforted. Made a shame that I might inherit glory. Entered darkness that I might have eternal life. My Savior wept that all tears might be wiped from my eyes, groaned that I might have endless song, endured 
all pain that I might have unfading health, bore a crown, a thorned crown, that I might receive a glorious one, bowed his head that I might, that I might uplift mine, experienced reproach that I might receive welcome, closed his eyes in death that I might gaze on unclouded brightness, expired that I might live forever. That's our God. That's what Jesus did. Jesus entered into our world of chaos. And we're going to learn in this amazing series. Danny's going to pick it up next week, and we're going to kind of leapfrog through the rest of the series that this is what Jesus does. He comes into this chaotic world, living among the chaos itself, and brings order because he is not only God, he is human. And this is where it comes down to this last little, little section I love beginning in verse 8, well, it starts really in verse 15, but it crescendos in verse 18, where we learn that Jesus is qualified to bring order into our lives, watch this, not only because he's God, not only because he took on humanity, but because he knows exactly what God's heart is for our lives and our world. How do we know that? Verse 18 says something remarkable, no one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. This is one of the most difficult uh, phrases to translate, and that's why it's said a lot of different ways in Scripture. In the NIV, it says one and only. Some of your translations say only begotten son. And then some of our translations use the old King James or a derivative of it that he was in the bosom of the Father. And we don't use the word bosom very much. It's not really a, a term that we use. But the bosom of anyone is the chest, the breast. You remember in John 13 when, when uh, John leaned up against the breast of the Lord at the Last Supper. He, he was reclining with the Lord. And to be in the bosom of someone is to sense a uh, their heart. Literally, you could hear the heartbeat of Jesus if you leaned against his breast. This is a picture that God is giving to his people that the reason why Jesus is qualified and the only one qualified is because he's the only one that really knows the heart of the Father. He is in the bosom of the Father. Uh, my, the NIV says he's at the, the Father's side, and I think that's okay, but it doesn't, it doesn't give warmth or a sense of intimacy. I can remember as a, as a young boy at times, you know, whether I fell off my bike or off my skateboard or something, and I can remember just, you know, writhing in pain, you know, all skinned up. And I remember coming into my house, you know, and my mom just, as only a mom can do, she would, she would pull me into her bosom. She'd just hold me tight. She would just hold on to me as I shivered or as I cried out as I was frustrated and she would just hold me. I can still remember her arms like that. And some of us don't have that image in our minds. We don't have a parent or anyone that showed us that kind of love. My dad did too, but let's face it, as a little boy, it's always mom, right? It's always mom. And there's something about a mom, the way she pulls us in. This is a picture of the way Jesus is pulled in by his father, even in the the humanity of Christ and coming to earth and going to the cross. Jesus always, he would say in the Gospel of John, uh, 
my father is working to this day. I see my father. Jesus was always close to the father's side. He was in the bosom of the father. He knows the heart of the father. He knows what's best for your life. He knows what's best for this world. And that's why we come to him this morning. And John wants to just elaborate on that. First of all, that God is unknowable apart from knowing Jesus. Um, God can't be seen with human eyes. I hear people sometimes say, uh, how can I believe in a God I've never seen? Until I see God, I won't believe. I've heard people say that. Well, I, I respond sometimes, say, have you ever seen ultraviolet light? Stops them in their tracks a little bit. What do you mean? Well, you have to have special instruments to see the full spectrum of color. You can't see the full spectrum of color without special lenses. And this is what John is saying about Jesus, that Jesus is the lens through which we can see God. Secondly, Jesus alone knows God's heart for his people. That's what it says here, where it translates that he is the one and only, and that he is at the Father's side. He is in the bosom of the Father. He knows exactly what God the Father is thinking about your life. He knows what God thinks right now. He knows what the Father is thinking about your crisis, your chaos, your relationship issue, your marriage, your kids, your aging parents, your joblessness, your aimlessness, what, fill in the blank of whatever the chaos is in your life or the thing that's occupying most of your thinking. Jesus is more than qualified because He's tuned to the Father's will for your life. He knows exactly what you need. And He's been resting in that and He wants to give that to you. This is what Jesus does. He pulls us into Himself just like He pulled John the apostle into his own bosom and just like he brings you and me in when he says come to me all who are weak and heavy laden weary and heavy laden and I will give you what? Rest. This is Jesus' invitation. Talk about putting our chaos in order. Jesus knows exactly what's needed in our lives and look at this. Jesus alone explains who God is as no one else can. I love this word, uh, has made him known. Uh, it's a word, it's translated from the word that we translate exegesis. Exegesis is something that Pastor Danny and I work on every week. It's, it's learning what the text says so that we can translate what the text says to our lives, which is opposite from some preaching that you hear at times where we kind of let culture and the world tell the Scripture what it ought to say. And that's called eisegesis. That's breathing into the text something of our own bias. And we see that everywhere. That happens all the time. That's why I have to be very careful and listen to what's being spoken so that we understand that it is the Word of God that we're hearing and not the opinion of man that is sort of putting light on God's Word. No. We're letting God's Word speak to our hearts. We are hungry for the Word of God, and that's what exegesis does. What is the meaning of the text? Therefore, what does it mean in my life? If I've got the accurate rendering of the text, then I can share that with the authority of Scripture, and that we can just trust that that's going to go out and speak and translate into the transformation of our own lives. So this is what John is saying about Jesus. Watch this. He's actually exegeting the heart of the Father. His life is an exegesis of God. He declares God. He makes God known. You cannot know God apart from Jesus. 
No matter what religion you're back of, I hear people all the time who equate other world religions, well, you know, they're all under the same umbrella and they're all worshiping the same God. No, no, no. You cannot know God, the one true God, apart from knowing Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the revealer of the one who reveals himself. He is the exegete of the Father. And this is why, this is why today, you and me, my friend, we can trust Jesus to bring order into the chaos of our lives. We can trust him because he's more than qualified. He is God, he is human flesh, and he explains to us the Father in ways that no one else can. And the great news is this, this morning if there's chaos in your life and you've never embraced Christ, you may have already embraced Christ and you feel chaos in your life. Listen, for those of us that have, we need to just lean into more of what Jesus wants for us, right? We say, God, I don't know what's going on. My life is crazy right now, but I'm going to trust you because I know you are more than qualified and you're the only one qualified. So I'm going to trust you for this really weird situation in my life. I'm going to trust you. That's beautiful. But if you've never come to that place of trusting in this one that we're talking about, that John's revealing to us this morning, if you've never come to that place, then this morning, this is your moment to step into true life transformation. And you can know that. By faith that all who came, to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received Christ this morning? Have you done so? If not, then I'm going to invite you to do that right now.